know, people who eat crappy food their whole life don't know how bad they feel until they get you know, into a diet that is clean. And I think the same with footwear. People who have foot problems don't know how bad their feet are. They just assume it's a natural part of getting old. When you get into natural footwear, and then you go back to traditional footwear or unnatural footwear, that you really notice the difference. In this week's episode, Nick catches up with Mark Sisson. Mark is a pioneer in the primal and paleo movement, the brains behind the widely acclaimed Mark's Daily Apple, and the author of bestsellers like The Primal Blueprint. Mark is a man who has reshaped how many of us think about food, fitness, and health, and is now dipping his toes into the natural footwear world too with his new brand, Paluva. We are stoked to announce Paluva is joining TFC as a natural footwear partner. By partnering with leading brands in the natural footwear space, we aim to bring you exclusive insights, stories, and opportunities to make that switch to a healthier foot lifestyle while delivering leading TFC foot health education straight into the shoeboxes of footwear customers. As part of the new partnership, Paluva are offering all TFC community members a special discount off their shoes. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now, to the episode. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TFC's Restore to Explore podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name's Nick, and today I'm hosting a conversation with Mark Sisson. So, Mark, thanks for being here and uh, taking the time to share your story and your wisdom and info about your new footwear brand with our community. It is my pleasure to be here, Nick. Awesome. So Mark's an author, a podcaster. He's the founder of Primal Nutrition, and he recently started a natural footwear brand uh, with his son called Paluva, which we're going to talk about today. But I figure maybe a good place to start uh, is just to really zoom out, rewind, and just talk about sort of your foot health journey. Um, and in particular, I'd love to hear uh, when you started wearing natural footwear and why. Well, here's here's an interesting observation. I think I started wearing natural footwear when I started running in uh, in in the early 1970s, late 1960s. Actually, I started running when I was about 13 or 14, and all that was available was Chuck Taylors. Hmm. So, um, if that was if that was what natural footwear was, it was canvas with with almost no uh, you know, zero drop and, and, uh, not much sole thickness, then that's when I started. Um, shortly thereafter, I graduated, if you will, to, uh, uh, Tiger Onitsuka, which was, uh, uh, you know, the, the brand that, um, Phil Knight was allowed to import into the country through, if you've read the book, Shoe Dog, you know, that was his first brand. Good book. Uh, it was, it was a great shoe and, uh, uh, for the longest time, uh, you know, that's what I ran in. I raced in, trained in those. Uh, however, uh, what I noticed early on was that uh, the miles that I was able to do was limited by the shoe. It was basically sort of, in a good way, forcing me to run the way humans should run with a with an emphasis on a midfoot strike, uh, not the emphasis on a heel strike. And uh, it wasn't until a few years later when I started really getting serious about running and then Nike came along and, and uh, with, you know, with their... Um, LDVs and their thick cushion uh, heels, which then allowed people like myself to put in lots and lots of miles. And so my mileage went up to uh, 80, 90, sometimes over 100 miles a week. And at the end of my career, I was averaging about 100 miles a week for the last seven years of my running career. Wow. So I was able to do the miles. I was able to put the, put the, you know, the road miles in. And I guess that benefited my heart and my lungs, I guess. And, and, uh, you know, some of my, uh, other 
systems that, that are at work in the body when you try to become an elite runner. But one of the things that did happen also was um, I got other injuries. I got uh, knee injuries and I got hip injuries and I got osteoarthritis in my feet. And I realized pretty early on, uh, well, first of all, I, I had to retire from running at a fairly early age and I shifted over to, to triathlon. So I wound up doing Ironman um, for a couple of years, uh, finished fourth at Hawaii in 1982. So that was kind of my swan song in endurance competition. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> well, thanks. But then I, you know, but, but again, it was all a result of the, uh, the miles that I was able to put in and that cardiovascular engine that I was building, but it, but I was kind of a wreck in terms of my feet. I couldn't, the reason I had to re- retire from marathon racing, uh, was because I couldn't train the hard, fast miles that I needed to become an elite a runner. Uh, and I finished fifth in the U S national championships in 1980. Uh, so I was pleased, you know, I qualified for the Olympic trials in 1980 in the marathon, but, but, but that was the end of my career. And I had to kind of reevaluate what was going on with not just my foot health, which was clear that it was, uh, you know, I, I was one of the original miracle cures, if you will, with, uh, orthotics, a guy named Steven Sabotnik out of Hayward made me some acrylic orthotics that allowed me to run another year or two with, with bad knees. But that was literally putting a Band-Aid on the solution, right? My bad knees were probably a result of the overly cushioned and restrictive shoes that I was putting all the miles in. So while the orthotics allowed me to continue to do that for a while, eventually the wheels fell off and I had to quit. So, you know, I went the next 20 years uh, not running much, if at all, um, and kind of looking at maybe ways in which I could get strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy, productive, all the things I wanted, and I think most people want, without the pain and suffering and sacrifice that endurance competition uh, sort of requires of you. And so that led me down this path of exploring health and wellness across a broad range of modalities from diet and exercise and play and sun exposure and sleep. And with that, I created a blog called Mark's Daily Apple, which became one of the most uh, uh, well-respected and visited blogs in the ancestral health world. Uh, From that, I I wrote a book, uh, The Primal Blueprint, which kind of revolutionized this idea that, um, you know, it it took the paleo template and made it more of a, a broad lifestyle beyond just the diet aspect of that. And then from there, I created, uh, you know, a series of seminars and events and experiential weekends, uh, all based around this primal living concept. Uh, from there, I sort of realized um, only a few years ago that I was writing a lot about food and maybe there was an opportunity there for me to participate in, in the food business world. And so I created a company called Primal Kitchen which went on to become one of the fastest growing better for you food companies in the country. Uh, we grew very rapidly over the, from two, 2015 to 2000, uh, end of 2018. And I got an, a great offer that I couldn't refuse from Kraft Heinz to sell it to them. So I sold that company. And then I, I then I started to think, you know, that there's, um, there's a part of this whole health equation that has always bothered me. And that was this interest in foot health, this, this idea that, Throughout my life, my shoes have been uncomfortable, Um, even though I have relatively, I would say, normal width feet, any sort of wide toe box shoe just 
felt horrible to me. Um, it, this goes back to, you know, the days when I was wearing the standard, you know, Nike, Adidas, Reebok, Converse for a while, um, running shoes, but then well into recent years, even in the last few decades when I've tried, you know, other sorts of shoes, they just haven't, haven't worked for me. So in 2007, I was a very early adopter of, um, uh, five toed shoes, um, I was a I was an ambassador for uh, Vibram Five Fingers and a big fan of the concept of this idea that that minimalist footwear was the way to go. That humans are meant to be barefoot, but obviously the the impracticality of being barefoot in a modern world, uh, not just you know nails and glass and dog crap and all this other stuff, but all of the hard surfaces that we walk on. I mean, literally everywhere around us is concrete, pavement, tar glass, marble, tile, hardwood floor, and our feet were not, did not evolve to be able to handle a continuous uh, walking on that sort of surface without some sort of, um, I think, health compromise. And so even the early minimalist footwear, I don't think quite picked up on this, this idea that there has to be some amount of allowance, some amount of cushion to interface between the bare bottom of your heel and the ground surface that you're walking on. So, you know, I worked with a few other shoe companies over the years. I've tried to advise companies as to what I thought might be the best way to address this issue. Um, and I don't know, I, I feel like my, my advice fell on deaf ears. And so two and a half years ago, I set about to design literally from the ground up a shoe that I felt would um, accommodate people's feet in a way that was number one, comfortable, because that was always my biggest issue was, was foot comfort. Number two, functional. So it had to have the elements of functionality that made it um, somewhat analogous to, get, to going barefoot, but going barefoot in the context of a, of a modern world where all of these impediments are in front of us. And number three, had to be stylish. I think one of the issues I've had with the minimalist uh, footwear movement uh, over the past decade, God bless them, is uh, I, I don't think the styles have been attractive enough to make uh, me or other people want to wear them around in public, um, outside the gym or outside the hiking track. So uh, the idea was to create what, what for me was the ideal shoe, right? Wide, thin, flat, flexible, but also stylish with a little bit of uh, a cushion uh, just enough. And the, 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 the mantra that we use or the tagline that we use is we want it to feel like you're walking barefoot on a putting green, right? So that was sort of the, what were the effect that we're trying to create. So we introduced Paluva in March. It's been already a huge success. And I would say my measure of success is how it's been um, the response from the health community, from the PT community, from the podiatry community, from the, uh, you know, just the, the, vast numbers of people on Instagram, for instance, who are proponents of foot health and who are, um, you know, advocating for foot health. Uh, as we say in my company, foot health is the new sleep, right? It's now finally coming to the forefront that foot health, this is your contact with the ground, people. This is where, this is where your life starts with your contact with, contact with the ground every day. And the entire kinetic chain has to start with a feel, a ground feel, a feeling for the ground that, that, 
that then radiates, emanates, uh, enervates up through the feet and causes the rest of the body to do its biomechanical magic. Yeah. Amazing. That was a really, uh, you're, you're a very smooth storyteller being able to bring us from, you know, the days of wearing Chucks and Onitsukas to, uh, giving us a synopsis of Paluva. So thanks for that. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, in the early days, I look back at some of the uh, video footage or some of the pictures of Chuck Taylor, the basketball player playing in these essentially like little rubber sole canvas upper running around doing just fine. Uh, and you look these days and people say, well, I can't possibly play basketball without a super supportive shoe, without a super cushioned shoe. And it's like, well, actually, it's not a necessity from the standpoint of being able to move. It's, you know, marketing has essentially convinced us that we need all these things. And it's ironic that these very things are actually the things that are harming our foot function and making us poorer movers. And, uh, you know, I love everything about Chuck except for the shape. I think they um, yeah. kind of shaped it like a submarine instead of like a human foot. But uh, that's neither here nor there. And. Yeah, I think um, I think there's such an opening now. There seems to be a sort of like a consciousness opening to like a willingness to accept natural footwear now. There seems to be, you know, athleisure came before where instead of wearing clothes that stopped us from moving or like, you know, literally stopped us from moving through the full spectrum of human movement. We started to shift over to clothes that allowed us to move and were actually comfortable. Um, and, you know, Lululemon popped up and everyone's wearing these uh, clothes that were formerly just for the realm of the gym and now are the realm of day to day life. And it seems like footwear has been this lagging clothing item that hasn't really caught up to the athleisure movement. And now it's almost like now we're getting ready for the decade of foot athleisure where and I think maybe part of it is just out of sight, out of mind. We don't really look at our feet because they're always covered. And so we don't really pay attention or acknowledge them as body parts that deserve any attention. They're kind of these gross things that we trap and choose and we ignore. Um, but you're right. They are, they're our foundation and they're our primary sensor for being able to detect the ground to guide optimal movement. And so if we cover them or manipulate that interface between the foot and the ground, um, bad things can happen. Um, and they might not be obvious right away, but you know, I always tell people with runners, it's like, cushioned shoes might not feel bad. It might feel like it's cushioning you from the ground, but it's allowing you to move in a way that in a decade results in knee osteoarthritis. And so that lagging indicator makes it kind of like a sneaky, a sneaky one. Um, I guess one question I have is, well, two things that came to mind when you were talking about ancestral health, what is, how do you define ancestral health? And then second question is where did the name Paluva come from? What's the mm -hmm. uh, etymology or the reasoning for that choice? So let's start with ancestral health. I'd love to hear yeah, so, how you define yeah. that. So ancestral health basically um, looks at human health today through the lens of evolution. So, um, you know, I've, I was a biology major pre-med in college, and I was uh, fascinated by evolution. Um, and it was in those days that, that the first beginnings of genetic science was starting to, to, take, to take root. So ancestral health looks at <clears throat> clues from evolution, like how did we evolve to arrive at this set of genes that we have today, this genetic blueprint that we all have that wants to build a strong, lean, fit, loving, productive, creative human body, um, but, but sometimes gets thwarted by bad food, by artificial light that keeps us up late at night, by stress that doesn't exist except in our minds, uh, by cramped, nasty footwear that, that compresses our feet and, and removes any haptic sense that we might be um, otherwise dependent on to, to create a, a biomechanically efficient organism that we all are. So ancestral health would say, okay, if we look at the clues from evolution, 
you know, we went to, we, we ate nothing but plants and animals and some insects, I would say, but we didn't eat processed foods. We didn't eat industrial seed oils. We didn't have a lot of processed sugar. So to the extent that we can go back and somehow mimic or slightly recreate that ancestral diet, our genes will be happy. The mm. genes that, caught, that build muscle will be turned on. The genes that uh, burn fat will be turned on. The genes that store fat will be turned off. The genes that cause type 2 diabetes will be, will be turned off. And we can literally find these hidden genetic switches that we all have and then apply behaviors to, to, to make choices that turn these switches on or off. So sleep, another great example. I mean, sleep, you know, was the big, was a big thing for the last decade. And it's still big if you listen to, you know, the likes of Peter Atia and Andrew Huberman and all of the guys that are, you know, in that sort of general health world right now. But our ancestors went to bed when the sun went down and got up when the sun came up. And <laughs> real they, complex, they, isn't it? <laughs> real, I mean, maintained a regular schedule like that. And so our brains are wired to have uh, to secrete melatonin when the sun goes down and, uh, you know, secrete cortisol as the sun's coming up and we're waking up and all these wonderful biomechanical, biochemical processes that are happening within us happen as a result of the genetic programming that we all have as humans. So ancestral health, once again, looks at <clears throat> where are the clues? What, you know, what did we eat? Um, how did we uh, sleep? How did we play? You know, like, like humans have always played and now we don't play much. Humans have always been uh, a, a, a very tribal, gregarious, um, close-knit group. And now we have, instead of 12 family members and maybe 150 people that we might meet in our entire life, now we have 5,000 Facebook friends and 150 million followers on Instagram. And we're supposed to be, and they call this connected, and it's not. And so our brain continually uh, kind of fights that and says, what's going on here? This is not how I'm wired. So we have a lot more stress in our lives. We have a lot more, um, you know, mental illnesses arising from the stress. Uh, and so that's that's basically the story of ancestral uh, health. It just kind of looks at what's the template around which we ought to orchestrate our lives. And nobody has to. You, these are just I'm, all I've ever done is offer choices like you can choose to engage in these behaviors. And mm. if you do, there's a strong likelihood that you'll have a better outcome if you choose not to engage in these behaviors. I, it's, it's your life. You choose. It's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. But my job has always been to educate people in what their options are. Right. And so that's that's the ancestral health thing. Yeah, I, th I think the you're right. It's like I'm not here to tell anyone what to do, what they should or shouldn't do. But I think one of the gaps that we've noticed, especially at TFC or in, even just in health more broadly, is that people aren't actually given truthful information so that they can make wise choices in their lives. Right. Like if you don't have the right information, it's really hard to make a good choice. Give me one second. I'm just going to let this pooch out somehow I get locked in here. <clears throat> Yeah, it's really hard to make wise choices if you're not given good information. And I think just the act of giving people all the right information so that they can effectively weigh the trade-offs and make better choices. Um, and also the important part with that too, that I think is relevant to our discussion is offer them better options, right? If they know they should buy natural footwear, if they know they should buy foods that aren't loaded up with seed oils and are more natural, if there's no options out there and if those options either aren't easy to access or aren't actually appealing, um, then it's really hard to sell someone to make a change if there's that much friction, right? If the availability or the, um, you know, the likability, let's say, if, if the food, if the really healthy food doesn't taste good, if the really healthy shoes don't look good and don't feel good, um, it's going to be a problem. And so 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's not necessarily that we need to go back and live like we lived 10,000 years ago, but it's about harmonizing sort of the, the inputs that we would have received um, with our modern day and finding that happy medium where we can live in the world of technology, but protect ourselves from the technology that might be harming us now. So yeah, I think Absolutely. ancestral health is such a powerful term because it sort of makes reference to the wisdom of living in alignment with how our hardware and how our biology is built but also not throw, not you know trying to revert back to living in a cave in a tribe of 150, but finding out the happy medium that works for us and optimizes our health. Um, part two, where did Paluva come from? So when uh, I set out to um, start this company, I was, I was dead set on calling it uh, Primal Footprint uh, because I've had over the years, I've pretty much, I think, caused a resurgence in uh, the word primal, whether it was uh, my original company, Primal Fitness, in the 80s, I had a, a company called Primal Urge Press, uh, which is a self-publishing company, also in the 80s. Then I had Primal Nutrition. And then I had the Primal Blueprint. Then I had um, Primal Fuel, which is a meal replacement product I had for a while. Then I had Primal Kitchen. Um, <laughs> all the primals. All, all the primals. I had all the primals locked up. And I thought, well, this is going to be a slam dunk. Um, I have, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do Primal Footprint. But um, as... I've often, uh, sometimes encountered in, in the world of, uh, uh, you know, intellectual property, um, somebody had secured the term primal for all clothing. So I couldn't, I couldn't use that. So we set off with a word generator to come up with uh, different languages in which the word foot and the word glove or the word comfort and the word foot, and, you know, all sorts of mix, mixing and matching. And what we, what we wound up with was in Portuguese, the word foot is pé and glove is luva. So mm. pé luva is foot glove. And even though if it, if it was in Portuguese, you'd say luva de pé, but pé luva, and we wanted sort of a nice, a sort of classy sound, kind of a, a you know, a, a European kind of high, high fashion kind of sound. And we came up with this about two, a year and a half or two years ago. And we're, I mean, we're very happy with it. We had another, we had a design company that we challenged. They come up with a better word than this. And they, and after yeah. you know paying paying them a lot of money and they're going back and forth, they go, nope, you guys win. So nice. We're happy nice. with that. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a good term and it's uh, simple and uh, I love that there's meaning behind it. Also, it's not just this random abstract thing that was chosen just right. to choose a name. Um, and you know, I've always felt that we understand that if you like, I live in Canada. We wear gloves in the winter to protect our hands from the cold. And we understand that you can't really do a whole lot when you got these giant bulky things on your hand. If they're stiff, you really don't have much dexterity and you can't really, you effectively can't use your hands. You just keep them warm, but you sacrifice all function. And, you know, you look at most shoes and it's like shoes are kind of the same thing. It's like we've literally just accepted that we're going to put these things on our feet to protect them from the environment. But we're not going to protect them from loss of function or loss of strength or loss of mobility because that's essentially what most modern day shoes do. And, you know, we landed on this terminology that I think is intuitive and helpful and hopefully gets rid of some of the baggage associated with toe shoes, barefoot shoe. I mean, barefoot shoe is an oxymoron. If you're barefoot, you're not wearing yeah, shoes. Yeah, so some of these yeah, terms yeah. can get really muddy and, and people, and they associate it with baggage, right? When we say barefoot shoes, people think Vibrams, they're like, that's not for me. And so we landed on this term of natural footwear and unnatural footwear. Um, natural footwear are shoes that allow your feet to function naturally. Unnatural footwear are shoes that disturb the natural function of your feet. And, you know, even though the terminology is binary, it's a continuum, right? At one end, you have barefoot, just, just shy of barefoot, you have the most natural shoes. And at the other end, you have the most unnatural shoes, like maybe a crazy women's high heel that's pointed and just really messes up a lot of things with the foot. 
And our approach at TFC has always been to help people understand what are the components that make a shoe natural versus unnatural so that everyone can make a determination of, you know, does this shoe that I'm looking at or that I own qualify as natural footwear? Uh, what features does it have from natural footwear? And helping people always move towards the continuum of more natural. And I would say that, you know, our four Fs, we used to use the term wide. The problem, and I've talked to Dr. Ray McClanahan, the guy who created Correctos, um, and we had this discussion where the term wide has kind of been co-opted, right? Because you can get a New Balance quad E wide shoe, quote unquote wide. But if it's wide in the wrong spot, if it's wide at the base of the big toe and not at the toes, it really doesn't do a whole lot. So we kind of landed on the four Fs of foot shaped, flat, flexible, and feel, meaning thin sole. Mm -hmm. And while I don't ever tell people never go to cushioning or always go to cushioning, I think it's important that people understand the trade-offs. Um, and the the trade-offs they're making when they choose cushioning and the consequent potential consequences of cushioning. So, um, you know, even I think a lot of people from the outside in might think that us at TFC are always like, you got to go barefoot all the time. And that's not the case. I think I wouldn't, I think people would agree that touching the planet directly is probably not going to have any bad consequences and doing it once in a while is good. But the reality is that footwear is important, right? Um, as a tool to protect our feet. When I go on a barefoot hike, I have to be really mindful of where I'm stepping so I don't step on a stick or something sharp. Um, and there's a cool element to that of being going out on a mindful walk. But at the end of the day, I don't always want to have to look at every spot I'm stepping. And I want to be able to soak in the environment or speak to someone. And so footwear is this tool we use to protect our foot. And then the, the challenge becomes, well, how can we make footwear as natural as possible? Um, and one thing I noticed about your uh, Paluva shoes that I found really interesting uh, was that you have the individual toes. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, was there any issues with doing that? I heard that Vibram had a patent on separate toe uh, areas and shoes. And so it was really cool to be able to see someone doing shoes with separate toes that had a different aesthetic, right? Like a more fashionable, um, yeah, they just, they look like more fashionable versions of Vibrams because Vibrams tend to be the really utilitarian hardcore look, which obviously doesn't appeal to a huge amount of people. And so you're essentially left not being able to wear the most functional type of footwear because of what they look like. So did you have any friction with Vibram? And where did the decision come from to go separate toes versus a closed toe box? I'd love to hear like the decision framework you used sure. to decide on that. Sure. So um, I, without getting too deep into the legalities of this, I did about a year of deep uh, legal research on this. And we are very confident that we're differentiated enough from other five-toed shoes, shall we say, yep. uh, that there's no problem. Perfect. Um, and I was not going to do another wide toe box shoe. It had to have five toes. This was, to me, the single most important element of any footwear was individual toe articulation. Uh, the idea that, that um, yeah, with a wide toe box, you can, you can splay laterally, but I'm talking about up and down. I'm talking about feeling the ground uh, not just because you have a thin sole, but having the toes um, adjust to every rock or stone that you that you step on. Hmm. Um, I'm I'm here. I wish I could show you this this view. I'm I'm here in the Scottish Highlands with 19 family members, and uh, it's a, one of our annual trips we do around the world, someplace different every year. And I've never been here before. Yesterday we did a three hour hike in uphill in a boggy, boggy, peat filled, grassy. Uh, marshy, beautiful, green, lush, you know, no trail, just kind of bushwhacking the whole way. Eight of us were wearing the Paluva Strand, which is our sort of workout model. 
Um, and one of the interesting things about this was that when we were on the rocks, everybody felt much more comfortable going from rock to rock to rock to rock because every time your foot landed, it immediately informed the brain of how to bend the ankle, how to flex the knee, how to torque the hip, how to, how to squeeze the muscles in certain ways. Um, the people that were with us, with us wearing hiking boots, obviously every time in that stiff sole boot, every time they planted wrong on a, on a sideways rock, the knee, any of the haptic sense started from the mid calf up. And so the knee had to like guess which way to bend and sometimes sideways and sometimes the wrong way. Um, but almost most significantly, what I got from this was every time we were, we were going uphill in deep, thick, matted grass that where you, your foot would sink anywhere from four inches to eight inches down. And you never, you couldn't see what was underfoot, but every time the foot landed, you knew it, the, the brain told your the body exactly how to adjust to that. And so nobody, there were no twisted ankles. There were no, and we were like literally running downhill when we came down from this hike. So it was a real, um, really important to me. And one, yet again, we've been, you know, we've had the first variations of these shoes out for over a year and we wear, wear tested them all around the world. The, the idea of the toe being able to articulate and be to stay wide and articulate and, and the toe to be able to see and feel everything was, was critical. And I would not have gone into this business if I didn't think I could do an attractive five toed shoe. So that, that's, um, I would say the answer to that. Um, part of the reason is we've, you know, we've started to really emphasize what we call um, big toe alignment, BTA. Um, it's going to take over BDE on the Instagram, I'm telling you. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but big toe alignment, and you can't, you can't get that if you don't have some individual toe articulation. You can come close, but, but you can't really get it in a, in a regular wide uh, toe box shoe. Yeah, I think, you know, if nature wanted us, if, if the human body functioned efficiently with one giant gigatoe, that's how our foot would be designed. And yeah. that's not how our foot's designed. And to make a shoe that essentially creates a gigatoe in function by not allowing any of the toes to articulate independently, uh, I think does a lot of uh, a bigger disservice than what people think. And I think footwear is still widely misunderstood. I just spent the past weekend at an NHL strength conditioning conference where all the coaches were there and we talked about natural footwear. And, you know, one of the elements that I kind of talked about was this idea of the foot being a sensor that calibrates the hip. And if your foot is not able to act like a foot, is not able to sense the ground, is not able to, in a very quick way, detect pressure changes, there's actually no feedback loop to tell the hip how to protect your, your knee and your ankle. And it's this sort of, you know, the way I look at it, everything from the belly button down is this integrated system. You can't actually optimize any component independent of any of the others. You try and optimize your feet, but you don't pay attention to hips. It's not going to go well and vice versa. But what I always end up coming back to, if I, you know, as deep as I can dig, I always come back to this idea that the foot is the sensor that informs the body how to move efficiently. And if there's, you know, if you got too much cushioning or you got a shoe that literally inhibits any sensory input whatsoever, the body is at this disadvantage at a baseline. And just like you were talking about, you know, I, um, in Ottawa, there's a little hike that I like to go on quite regularly and I often do it in sandals or I will sometimes do a barefoot and people look at me like I'm crazy. And meanwhile, they're wearing these giant rigid hiking boots and I look at them like they're crazy. And so there's this interesting dynamic where people simply don't realize that the more sensation you get from the ground, the more permissive the body is to allow you to move freely and give you movement options. And, you know, I've gave the metaphor sometimes where when your foot is in a cast or it can't feel the ground, the body as a security measure essentially puts governors, right? Governors are there to 
uh, protect us. Like pain is a governor, right? If something's not going well, pain says you're not allowed to do these things or you're not allowed to do anything. And this idea that once you uh, deactivate the foot to, uh, to being a sensor, you essentially apply these governors at the knee, at the hip and at the ankle where the body kind of locks the joint down for fear that it doesn't know what's going on. Uh, and so it's this very interesting thing where once you put natural shoes on, once you regain some baseline function of the foot, you actually end up unlocking a huge amount of capacity and athleticism and performance at all the other joints because the body just now knows what's going on underneath it on the ground. And um, yeah, it's really cool to see all these new natural footwears coming out, uh, natural footwear brands coming out that look different, uh, that appeal to different audiences in terms of what, um, in terms of the aesthetic of them but are also all honing in on these essential elements. They do it slightly differently. Some use a bit of cushioning, some maybe not as foot shaped, but at the end of the day, the goal is better. And I think the more options available to people, the more uh, people that are out there essentially talking about and wearing natural footwear, the more we're gonna sort of reclaim function of the foot as this area that's actually important, right? It's like, I think any of us would think that if you built a giant house and you didn't really care anything about the foundation, that would be kind of reckless, right? Because you can build a beautiful house and then if you ignore the foundation, it collapses. The health doesn't mean anything because the foundation was wrong. Uh, and I think people just don't view feet as this foundational element. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people ignore it. Um, and yet and 77% of people claim to have foot problems in their right. lifetime. Yes, I think. Yeah. yeah, I looked at the stats recently and this really blew my mind and reinforced just, you know, that it is important to actually help people understand feet. 75% of people in shoe wearing cultures will develop foot pain at some point. Half of those people will develop foot issues that are so bad they have to modify their activity because of the foot problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like that's an epidemic that actually causes a huge amount of suffering. And the solution is incredibly simple. It's stop wearing shoes that damage your feet and your body automatically starts to recalibrate, self-heal, self-organize. Obviously, there's other things you can do. You have to get out into natural inputs that give you some variety. Um, but one question I have for you is since you launched Paluva, uh, what has the response been like? Um, did it match the expectation that you had? Have you gotten resistance? What is the most common, um, a friction point for people that you talk to? I'm always curious about, you know, where are the sticking points still that yep. we have to address yep. in education? So it's been overwhelmingly positive re reception. I mean, I, I could not have imagined uh, a better, uh, general reception through not just, uh, the influencers that we sort of seeded with, uh, advanced product who put them through wear tests, uh, but also, uh, you know, health professionals who were skeptical at first um, and and uh, to our customers. Uh, we've already had thousands of customers and we're, we're getting incredible feedback. And some of the obviously the best feedback you get is when people post stories um, of them out for a hike or out for a you know stroll or, or in the gym. Um, yeah. I've got some top bodybuilders. Maybe that's what we should call feedback, it. Feedback, <laughs> exactly. We, we actually started calling that feedback. Um, and we, you know, but, but uh, gym rats who are describing, uh, you know, getting, uh, feeling their, uh, their leg muscles engaged even more fully when they're doing leg days, things like that. I would say the, the you know, the only friction really that we've received is these are, because they are a five-toed shoe and they are sort of, you know, people's feet are different volume and different toe lengths. Um, we, we are not really able to drill down on, on the size matching perfectly yet. So, um, and, but we still, you know, I, I would say over 80% of people who order online get exactly the size that they anticipated that matches their standard, you know, Nike on Hoka Adidas sizing. Uh, so I think we did 
we did well there. But I think it is the variation in foot sizing that when once we're in sh- shoe stores and once people can try them on in real life, um, we'll, we'll we'll certainly fix that that slight issue. And of course, if people buy and and it's a half size or a size too big or small, we just do a free return and and it's it's you know it's on us to make it right. Yeah, and I don't think the blame really rests with you as a shoe company. I think you know about a year ago. Uh, we were doing a lot of different projects with TFC, kind of putting our tentacles out, trying to figure out like what ways can we influence the world of footwear uh, to improve it and make it a better experience. Because the the idea that you can buy a shoe and you can have five different footwear sizing systems, and even within the same brand, you can have shoes that fit completely different, was is a really bad experience. It's a bad user experience. Um, and we set out on this mission to create something called UFS, Universal Footwear Sizing, where literally if you take a ruler and you measure the length of your foot and the width of the widest part of your foot, you know what shoe size to buy. And even creating this, you know, erasing the old measuring device that actually has the width in the wrong place mm-hmm. and literally just getting people to put their foot on a piece of Baltic birch with sizes et- laser etched into it. And it's like, you know, the width and the length of the shoe you need to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, it turned out to be a really big idea that is maybe before it's time. But I think at the end of the day, one of the things we're going to try and do at TFC is really try and uh, give reviews on shoes that allow people to have some nuance in terms of the understanding of how does this size correlate to uh, if you're a size x in nike or vivo barefoot what size is commonly viewed as being correlated to that in this brand and yeah i think that's um there's always going to be people with different shaped feet you know feet or unnatural shoes can actually deform feet in a variety of ways for different people and so there's always a bit of a challenge there and we're in Canada. Um, Soul Freedom is a company that I work for, and our goal is to offer an in-person footwear experience because I think that's a really underrated part of natural footwear is not only being able to try on and feel them, but actually incorporate education as this underlying element of the footwear purchasing experience where you're not just buying a shoe, you're actually buying a totally new tool that's going to change how you move. And a lot of times having a bit of understanding of how you need to sort of progress or troubleshoot uh, your foot adapting to this new environment is actually a really important part of having a good experience with the footwear. Um, yeah. and I think part of, you know, our focus and our mission at the Foot Collective is to provide the education, which I actually think marketing natural footwear is less based on um, putting money into selling the shoes and more based on education and then providing, uh, pointing to good options. And um, yeah, it's just really cool to see how much development there's been in the past even two years that I've seen in terms of number one, an openness to people looking at natural footwear and being more open to it. And I think that's come from the second part, which is so many more brands and designs and looks coming into the into the market and really creating a more robust market of choice. Um, because without choice, there's just that's a huge friction point. And if there's if shoes don't look good, people don't buy them. Doesn't matter how good they are, right? You can put clown shoes in front of someone and say these are great for your feet, and they're saying no, thank you. Yeah. So. Yeah, I really think what you've done to create something that's aesthetically pleasing and also maintains the functionality of natural footwear is just such an important piece of the puzzle. Uh, making footwear is a pain. It's not an easy thing. So thank you for embarking on that uh, on that journey with Paluva. Um, and, you know, I guess one question I had is like, who did you make, who, who are Paluva shoes for? Like who is the, if you were to do a thought experiment, talk about the ideal customer archetype for the kind of person you are making shoes for, um, who are Paluva for? Yeah. Well, first of all, I made them for me. So everything I've done as an entrepreneur in my life has been, uh, has arisen from my own dissatisfaction with 
the product mix that was on the market at the same time. So when I created Primal Kitchen Foods, it was because I like food and I like putting stuff on food and I like putting great tasting stuff on food. And I'd rather put great tasting stuff on food that's healthy. Well, mm. no one had really checked off all the boxes. There were healthy things that tasted like crap. There were crap, you know, there were, there were uh, things that tasted great, but had crappy ingredients. And we were the first ones to kind of combine that. When I came to footwear, I'm uh, the entire Paluva line is based around my, my feet, my needs. Like let's, let's make Mark the, 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 you know, the quintessential customer, somebody who's active, uh, who is very concerned about foot health, uh, who uh, wants to uh, uh, not just look good, but look more than presentable, like look really good in different outfits. Um, and ultimately one of the, one of the, um, the things that we arose quick, pretty early in this is when you wear these for any length of time, you start to hate regular shoes. Yeah, um, you can't go back. You, you can't, can't go, back. go back. I mean, literally today. So in the Scottish Highlands, we're, we're at a place that's like a dude ranch in the Highlands, right? And, and so we did the hike yesterday in Paluvas, but today we were going to go for a, a bike ride in the rain. And they had some, um, some wet rain boots that we could put on and, you know, and I put them on and they looked really wide, but no, I, as soon as I got them on, it didn't matter that they were wide at the widest part of my metatarsal. No, the toe box came together and my feet were immediately uncomfortable. So mm. I rode in the rain in my Paloobas and I was glad and happy and everything was wonderful. And, and, and that's another, another example. But I would say, um, so, so we have so many different types of people who are wearing Paloobas right now for all different occasions. So I've got... Um, like models on Instagram who are wearing them when they're out doing their, their errands in their Lulus, because when they're wearing their high heels and they're wearing their fashion shoes, they know that they're bad for them. I have weight trainers in the gym who are wearing their Palubas when they're doing the weights. And then they're out, um, you know, doing their hikes and walks uh, in, in a different version of Palubas. Um, I've got um, uh, my, my in-laws who are in their late sixties and have bad feet all they wear are Palubas now. It, they saw how horrible their regular shoes were for them. And now they're, now they won't hike unless they're hiking in Palubas and they're in their late sixties. So, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of once you, uh, understand that there are 340 million people in this country and everybody has to wear shoes at some point, um, there's nobody that Paluvas are not for. It's just a matter of, uh, your, I, I guess uh, your your willingness to suspend disbelief and and say, well, yeah, a five-toed shoe, yeah, it's a little bit to overcome maybe initially, but once I've put it on and once I've understood how truly comfortable it is and how it makes me feel like I want to walk, not like I have to walk, but like I want to walk outside, yeah. uh, then... So based on that, we made, we made, and I'll show you, like we have a leather lace-up model, right? This is something you would wear... Uh, in the workplace, or if you were working behind a counter or a desk. By the way, this is a fake sidewall. This this shoe is uh, is only 1.2 centimeters off the ground, 12 millimeters off the ground. Um, but we wanted it to look like a real shoe, right? Um, this is a, a slip-on, same same platform. Um, this is called the Miami. This is one I would wear to any top restaurant in in Miami uh, at night. This is you know, and then this is the the strand, the one that we that we hike in and work out in, and said, you know, it's more of a a, a lower profile um, outsole. But it's basically um, the idea is uh, once you understand how 
comfortable these are and how good they are for your feet, you'll want to, you, you won't want to go back to another shoe again. Uh, and so with that in mind, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of for everybody. We thought we were going to sell mostly, you know, like 65% male and 35% female. And then my wife and I did a podcast on Skinny Confidential and we sold hundreds of pairs of them to women based on my wife saying it's, you know, it's really changed her outlook on how she, how she works out. And my wife is the most fashion conscious person you'll ever meet. And so when she goes, yeah, these That's actually- a good guinea pig to have if you're designing no, no, no. shoes. And, she, and, she, <laughs> and she, she totally was like, these are cute. They're not just okay, they're cute. And, they, and you know, don't I look cute in my, you know, flowery Lulus and my, you know, my Paloobas. So, um, so it, it turns out women, we have pink ones and, and uh, you know, light pink, dark pink. We got you know, blue and gray. We have all sorts of, you know, different styles and colors. We're already looking for our next season, which is fourth quarter of 23, coming out with some uh, uh, really cool prints and things like that. So, um, sorry to make it a long-winded answer, but it's really for everybody. I hate to be so generic about it, but it really is for everybody. That's okay. That was a good answer. And I think, uh, yeah, people in the past have asked me who are na- who should wear natural footwear. And I say any human with feet should wear yep. natural footwear. Um, yep. It's not the why, it's often the how. It's how, you know, based on where someone is at right now, if they've spent their entire lives in narrow, supportive, cushioned shoes, um, there's almost this, this period of baseline foot conditioning that is required to kind of regain some of the fundamental strength and mobility in your foot, which is an adaptation period. And everyone goes through that differently. Some people can go through it faster, some slower, some go through with no pain or discomfort. Some go have some, you know, adaptation friction pains, uh, just like you would have if you were going starting a workout for the first time, you turn every step into a workout with natural footwear. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, it really is this thing where, most people just don't understand how harmful unnatural footwear is. And, you know, I went from, I don't know about you, but I went from this phase of like, I need to tell everyone about this. There was like the sense of urgency, like everyone's messing up their feet. When I look around, everyone's shoes are messing up their feet to then this insight where it changes hard. The bigger the changes, the harder it is. Health is one of the biggest and most difficult changes for people to make because it has to do with ingrained lifestyle choices that have been passed down generationally. So it's a big change, but all changes facilitated through pain. And this idea that 99% of people are wearing shoes that have them on the continuum to eventually develop pain and that people have to reach often a certain level of pain before they're willing to change um, gives me calm. Now, when I look at people with unnatural shoes, I'm like, that person's going to buy natural shoes eventually. And so it becomes this really exciting time where we are through truth we are helping people go from a state of suffering and a lack of motivation to to move quite frankly right if your feet hurt every time you move there is this underlying disincentive to move even if that means going for a walk and so you know soul freedom the whole goal with the branding there is to free people's souls because it allows them to live life fully it allows them to experience movement with this sense of joy instead of the sense of dread um and i think it's just you know unlocking comfortable natural shoes that aligns uh with human biology is actually this incredible keystone like milestone that you unlock for people where they actually start to realize wow i had no idea how much my shoes were messing up my body what other things am i not realizing that are making me feel terrible and i think the likeness to food is once you start eating real food and feeling amazing it becomes much easier to detect when you feel like shit compared to feeling like shit being your baseline. So yep. yeah, you can't go back. <laughs> well, and, and, and to that, to that effect, uh, you know, people who eat crappy food their whole life don't know how bad they feel until they 
they get, you know, into uh, a diet that is clean. And all of a sudden, bad news is once they go back to their old diet, it really affects them, right? And I think the same with footwear. People who have foot problems don't know how bad their feet are. They just assume it's part of a natural part of getting old. Um, and, and that's what I'm saying is, is when you get into uh, natural footwear and then you go back to traditional footwear or unnatural footwear, that you really notice the difference, right? So yeah. I have a guy in my building and this is one of the, what, one of our, you said, what are our friction points? One of our friction points is um, when people have not worn five-toed shoes before, it takes a while to get them on the first time. Often because the feet have been so misshapen and deformed with their regular footwear over the decades. And this, this guy lives in my building. He had, he loves to play tennis. He's my age. He's a great tennis player, but his feet are his literally his weakest link. He sat in a chair in my apartment for 10 minutes trying to put his first paluva on because he just couldn't get his toes into the, and he put them on, he got them on, he walked around a little bit. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to wear them for the rest of the night. I, I saw him the next day. He said, it's amazing. I it took only took two minutes to get them on this morning. Long story short, he's already purchased like seven pair of paluvas. It's all he wears. Um, he's, he's telling me how, how great his tennis game is, how much his feet feel stronger and realigned, big toe alignment, as we talked about before. So the, the idea that you need to maybe invest a little bit, you have to overcome that first hurdle of like, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be weird to get your feet into the toes, into these individual toe sockets the first time, but spend a little bit of time, get used to it. And, and within a very short period of time, you'll be craving that feeling. Yeah. And if you... You know, I think the term orthotic um, or orthopedic device kind of got hijacked because mm-hmm. it used to mean a device that restored function. <laughs> and obviously those are, there's a lot of general, a lot of generalities that are yeah. open there to interpretation. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, when I, the more I think about natural footwear and the more I think about the dissemination of truth and how hard it is to suppress that, even if business interests align with keeping, continuing to tell people, maybe I'm not going to say intentionally lie to people, but not tell them the truth because they're not incentivized to do so. Once you, once you start to look at natural footwear as the ultimate orthotic to restore foot health, it becomes this thing where, well, I wonder how much is being spent on quote unquote orthotics right now. And it's billions. Yeah. And you look at that and you're like, wow, that misallocated capital. Once people determine truth, once truth reaches those people and they see that, you know, while an orthotic original orthotic can be a useful tool in the short term for some people, 99% of people would be better off just wearing a pair of natural shoes as the orthotic to restore yep. natural foot function. And that misallocation of capital will correct itself. And it's just, it's literally going to be this tsunami, I think, of market share being devoured from unnatural footwear by natural footwear. Because here's the thing, more powerful than any marketing ad you'll ever see on Instagram or influencer is someone in your family wearing natural footwear, having their life change mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. now they move and their feet don't hurt every day. Uh, and that person telling every single person they know in their family that they need to experience these shoes. And that sort of ripple effect where once you get almost nodes within family networks or communities that are number one, just wearing the shoes, right? Because when you walk around with a pair of Paluvas or a pair of natural shoes, people notice mm-hmm. and you're actually giving planting a seed just through observation without saying a word. Um, I think it just, when truth is on your side and it's this fundamental thing where feet are such a problem and are a source of such suffering in society and there is truth and there is more options and there's more exposure now, um, I'm really excited to see where your brand goes in a year and see what the brand landscape looks like in natural footwear because it is, it really does seem like there's a lot of momentum leading into the next five, 10 years where, you know, 
I think there's an inflection point where a company's making unnatural footwear are no longer act. It's no longer tolerable to make unnatural footwear because people just know too much. And whether the old companies adapt, which I think is unlikely, you know, like Kodak never made digital cameras because they got wiped out by the new innovators that had eaten up all the market share and gained trust. Um, or whether just these fledgling brands grow to be the, the ones that dominate the landscape. Uh, I think one thing problem we're trying to solve is the education piece to make sure that the education gets out there. Um, and also the in-person experience piece, because I think, you know, the world of digitally purchasing something on Amazon is great and it's convenient, but when it comes to footwear, it, you need an, an in-person experience mm -hmm. is such a rich, mm -hmm. uh, element of purchasing footwear and feeling good about it, especially when combined with education. So, um, yeah, I want to honor our 60 minute window. Thank you so much for all the time today, uh, for sharing about Paluva, sharing about your own journey. I think the people who are making the best footwear and who have the best stories are actually the ones who experienced it firsthand. And it sounded like you were sort of one of the OGs of realizing that shoes affect how you move and how you run and seeing firsthand that the consequences of running poorly, being able to run further than what your body might naturally allow by using cushioned rigid footwear does have a consequence. And if we can save people from suffering the knee osteoarthritis a decade later by helping them understand footwear, I think that's, you know, a meaningful mission for me at least. So um, before we sign off, is there anything else you want to tell people? Where can people find uh, Paluva or more about what you do? Uh, yeah, and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. Well, uh, paluva.com is our site. And uh, how do you that's spell that? P E L U V A, paluva.com. Um, and that's where you can purchase them now. Um, I've written uh, for, you know, 17 years at Mark's Daily Apple. So that's my blog, Mark's Daily Apple. You still yes. writing on that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's and, impressive. Yeah, and um, and then I'm Mark Sisson Primal, uh, my personal Instagram, and then we are Wear W E A R Wear Paluva on Instagram. Um, and I would love to have uh, your audience try these out and weigh in and see what they think and um, and give us all the feedback because uh, we we really enjoy feedback, as you said. Feedback. Yes, we are. Uh, we're big on feedback. And actually, Ruth uh, is the human at TFC who essentially oversees our natural footwear tent. So in our digital community, we got about 15,000 people and we have this area called the natural footwear tent. And that's where everyone essentially shares their experience with different footwear brands, different styles, and really gives actually a lot of thoughtful input on uh, you know, what was the fit like? How did they feel? What are they doing with them? What is uh, What has been their impressions so far on this shoe or this style. Um, and I'd love to put Ruth in contact with Paluva and have her be able to try a pair and then put up a review, show people in the natural footwear tent. I think it's a beautiful way to socially share experiences because I think the story from peers that are come from a place of authenticity, they're not sharing because they get paid to share. They're sharing because they legitimately want people to be aware of footwear brands that are still in the seed phase or are still very new. Um, so maybe I'll tell Ruth to reach out to wear Paluva. Um, we can get Love her it. into a pair and do a review. And Mark, thanks for everything you do for health as a whole, uh, for leading by example. I mean, I'm big on this term called proof of work it comes from the Bitcoin community, but really I view health at your health and your state of wellness and movement and capacity as a human is proof of the work you've done to take care of yourself. And I don't know how old you are. Uh, I'll be 70 in two weeks, pal. Dude, you look, you look jacked and yeah. it's really inspiring actually yeah. to see, you know, living proof that actually the state of your health has way more to do with the behaviors you've done throughout your whole life than the number attached with how long you've, yeah, how many yeah. rotations you've gone around the sun really doesn't matter. Yeah. It matters how well you've taken care of yourself. So thanks for leading by example and inspiring a bunch of people to do that. Um, thanks for creating Paluva and uh, everyone listening. Thanks for being here. 
Um, check out Paluva. Check out Ruth demoing those in Natural Footwear Tent eventually. And uh, we'll catch you on the next Restore to Explore podcast. Ciao. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, join our brand new free community. Inside, you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way. To join, just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.